0: You're, you're building the community through the process it's not just about you know whether you're designing in aspects that will engender community the process itself is, is creating you know pre the community even before people have moved in.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast my name is Emmett Scanlon and in this episode I talk to architect Harry Phillips of Bell Phillips Architects in London In 2004, Harry co-founded Bell Phillips Architects with Tim Bell, after the pair won an international design competition to carry out a major refurbishment on a housing estate in East London. Since then, the practice has developed a really good and strong reputation for working with public sector clients to deliver outstanding housing, and they are particularly experienced in delivering these schemes through collaborative community and stakeholder engagement. In the podcast, we're talking about housing design, and specifically about one public housing project on the Kipling Estate in London, which the pair completed in 2018. Right now, there is a lot of discussion about this housing system, and the system is often presented as an obscure and complex thing, and in a way it is. But what became clear in the conversation is that when it comes to housing, when there is a will, there is a way. On the Kipling Estate, a frustrated community set themselves up to understand and map their future housing needs. They worked to find funding, they worked with the design team of which Harry was a part, and they were supported in all of this by Southwark Council to make new housing on an old estate. I began the conversation by asking Harry to outline and tell us about how he became involved in this particular project on the Kipling Estate.
0: For us it began in around 2011. I'd been invited, weirdly, to an AJ100 breakfast, which isn't my normal scene, but um, I went along and the keynote speaker was uh, Chris Brown of Igloo. And he was talking about how he saw that um, there was a big potential for architects to get involved in, in community projects and community housing. And uh, it sounded quite interested, and I I went along to him afterwards and said, look, how how can we get involved? And he said, well, we're we're trying to set up this um, Neighbourhood Forum uh, in Bermondsey, which was where our um, office happened to be located at the time. And he said, well, why don't you come along and, and, you know, get involved? So um, we went along, and um, they were trying to set up a Neighbourhood Forum just south of London Bridge, which for various sort of... Complex and, and challenging uh, reasons, which I won't go into, never really came to fruition. But what it did do was it got various parties talking. In particular, uh, Lever Market JMB. There was Chris Brown from Igloo. There was uh, John Paul Matum from Lever Market. Jennifer Ross from Tibolds, the planning consultants. And out of these conversations and some work that we had done, there started to form conversation or an idea around the local. Community building its own building its own housing um, on uh, vacant land, brownfield land, on the local housing estates. And I think this sort of coincides as well with with some of the discussions that Lever Market were having internally. So Lever Market JMB is a, a tenant managed organisation, and they um, manage around 1,500 properties around the London Bridge and Bermondsey area, mostly post war council. Housing, and every four years they have a continuation ballot, um, and that ballot essentially says to residents: Are you happy with the work of Lever Market JMB, or do you want do you want Southwark to take over and the, the estate to sort of return to the management of Southwark? And they always get incredibly high approval ratings, very high turnout, and they always get um, voted back in. But what they got on this occasion in around 2010, 2011 was a lot of people saying. We're concerned. We're concerned about the amount of affordable housing in the local area. We're concerned about the pace of development that's happening in the area, the, the way that values are changing. And we're basically concerned that, you know, our community is going to be uh, disrupted, that our future generations are going to have to move out. Um, and what can we do about it? Can we build, can we build new housing? How, how what can we do to sort of address this problem? And so um they started to have conversations and formed a working group to discuss how they might start to build um their own affordable housing on their own housing estate.
1: And the way you describe the project you say that and I'm going to quote you here it says that it's an entirely new ground up approach to affordable housing which seems really interesting and innovative and so can you explain maybe a little bit about how it was new?
0: Yeah. So like I say, they they formulated the idea that they wanted to build um, their own housing, but they had no money, (laughs) no site, no land. And, you know, apart from um, the goodwill of of people like myself and Chris and Jennifer, no sort of experience or or knowledge about how to go about building their own housing. But they did start to identify plots and sites on their estates that that had potential. And so they came to us uh, initially and said, could we have a a study to see what how many homes we could build on on each of these sites. so so we did that study. and then they then need, needed to find some some money, and of course the sites that they uh, had identified were owned by Southwark. And so they started to lobby Southwark to see how they could get hold of the land. and they started to talk to the GLA uh, and the GLA gave them some funding to initially just to, to get a planning application um, on that on that site but the, the key thing was that then they were able to um lobby and convince southwark to give them a long lease on that of that plot of land i think it's a 999 year lease for a pound and they entered into this partnership with southwark whereby ultimately southwark um contributed the land and the development costs but it was a community that then brought the development forwards who 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 led the process who conceived of the project who then uh, wrote the brief for the project and ultimately will own and manage the homes themselves and I, of course I should point out that they're 100% social rent homes so um with no right to buy as well so so what what the um what the council gets out of it is more more homes to contribute to their to their uh, social housing what the local community gets out of it is Homes ultimately they manage that are to the benefit of, of local residents um, and so it was Lo- Levermarket Market, JMB residents who ultimately moved into the 27 uh, new flats that we built and I think you know ultimately that was an amazing sort of uh, amazing A of Southwark to to contribute both the land and the development costs but ultimately and I think this is a challenge that a lot of housing development faces is that housing development is usually imposed on people whether it's by private developers, housing associations, local authorities. And, you know, that, that right from the start creates a sort of tension, a tension between the developer coming in, uh, the impact it's going to have on that local community. So the benefit of this of this model is that you're doing it with the consent from the outset of local residents. They're leading the process, they're empowered, and, so, and they're in control. And so they're, you know... Ultimately, they're getting a development that they have created, that they are satisfied with, that serves the local community, and so you don't have this tension. It's 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 win-win. Southwark get the homes, the community gets gets the asset, gets the houses, and I think that's what's really um, different.
1: And it was the local community group that went into partnership with Southwark, so they it was there was no in-between agency. The the community and the authority. Worked on this together. Is that is that correct? Just to be kind of clear.
0: Yeah. So so uh, Lev Market JMB formed a, a sister organisation called Lev Market CBS, the Lev Market Community Benefit Society, and they it was them that appointed the consultants that led the process that developed the brief that appointed the contractor. So uh, Southwark donated the, or gifted the, the the cash for the development and the land, but effectively were were then hands off in terms of. Um, the process of seeing the development through. So it was Lev Market who were then empowered. And I think you know that, that 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 sees Southwark being hugely sort of innovative and trustworthy. You know, it, it doesn't. It's it's no small matter to give away a very expensive piece of real estate and you know twelve million pounds worth or so of of development costs to a to a community group. But I, you know, I think what they had, what the community group had in this case was years of trust and authority having managed this estate since 1996 they were formulated so they they had a lot of kudos with local authority that they could be trusted with that amount of money and, and and that process
1: yeah yeah and then you were involved there was a was there a year then approximately of kind of consultation with the community from a design team and from an architect's point of view. You were working with them, formulating the brief and figuring out what to do on this side of the former garages, what the community needed, and so on
0: That's right, so we initially did that feasibility study in end of 2011, 2012, and then there was a a, a period where you know, I think at that stage, you know, it wasn't a given from the outset that the community was going to form a partnership with, with Southwark. All they knew at that stage was they had some seed funding from GLA to start appointing some consultants and, and doing some um, architectural work. They, But beyond that, you know, how they were going to get hold of the land, who was going to fund the development was all sort of up for grabs. So it was very much sort of hand-to-mouth, step-by-step existence. Um, so there's a sort of a, a slight pause then until 2014 so in 2014 we started engaging with local residents and and starting to formulate a brief together with igloo in particular who sort of then helped to lead the community through the process and we started you know a lot of people say this but genuinely we started with a a completely blank sheet of paper so you know sort of a A local um, uh, sort of centre we had about 40 residents and some big sheets of paper and some big markers and we literally you know we, we broke down into groups and we literally sat down and said okay you know what are your what are your hopes what are your fears what do you like about your existing housing what do you don't like you know what are you concerned about what do you want to see in new housing and we just downloaded you know everything and anything that people wanted to say from the sort of you know from the very micro detailed scale through to you know big ideas and big concepts and that was a really interesting process I mean you know there were some things that came out that were really interesting you know people wanted homes that had a real sense of solidity a real sense of permanence they they wanted you know interestingly the the, the new building to be part of the existing estate and to you know and i i think you know touching on that is interesting that there is a perception about you know inner city post-war housing estates that they're all sort of deprived and desolate and and you know should all be steamrolled and and you know replaced with shiny new homes actually in this case that that's not a, the case at all it's an extremely well managed very lovely estate with um you know set in set in and around a series of very uh well maintained and and picturesque gardens. It's you know very well maintained. It's got years of life left in it, and people love that estate. You know, it's where they've grown up. It's where their communities are. And so uh, they 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 saw that these new interventions, these new housing, should be very much part of that estate, and and not you know, and not apart. So uh, that was a sort of an interesting challenge uh, to us as well. And that
1: desire obviously emerged through the consultation process with them. And I'm always curious about this this notion of of building community, you know, which, and, and it also comes down to the consultation process, which I'm always intrigued in any conversation process where people are trying to deliver and work together to make something as complex as building, not any building, not alone housing, this notion of conflict and debate and discussion, even among a very long established community who's taking care of where they live. You guys arrive and there's a there's a new process to make something that is new that's part of the old how do you how do you negotiate that kind of world of trying to connect connect those various strands of desire let's say and reconcile them with other kind of pragmatic things that emerge as with any building to do with budget and
0: it's a really yeah i mean it's a really good point i mean i think it's worth saying as well that whilst there was a, a broad consensus among the residents that there should be new housing that that doesn't that's not to say that there weren't conflicts with you know local residents who are you know immediately adjacent who would have their daylight impacted or would have their car parking spaces taken away you know so so it it wasn't all you know i'd be um, lying if i said it was all sweetness and light you know we did have some very challenging and difficult conversations but i think that the the thing that was really different about this process from a lot of development is that we we engaged and we uh, we engaged early and we spoke frequently and in-depth to residents constantly you know from uh, uh, from every aspect of the development from you know the the sort of broad shape and form and massing and number of homes right the way through to You know the color of the kitchens the taps, uh, you know every single aspect of it was discussed and, and led by the community and That builds a lot of trust and and when you're, you know, listening and you're demonstrating how what people are saying is impacting on the design. You know, people can still disagree with you at the end of the day, but at least they will they'll respect the process. They'll feel like they've contributed. And, that, and that's so important. And I think it's so different to what is typical um, in any architectural project, which is that, you know, the architect and the design team, and the client, they they sit in the room somewhere and they, you know, thrash out the design and then at some point they will, you know, show some glossy CGIs to the uh, local residents and, and say, there you go, that's your consultation. And that usually happens like, you know, a month before the planning application goes in. In this case, we had like a dozen detailed workshops and we, we sort of worked down in scale. So we started with the the sort of, you know, anyone that wanted to come from the local estate. Gradually over time, we identified the households that would be moving into the development and so we started to then work with them on honing the specifics of the project itself the material palette the the, the layout of flats and so on and so forth so gradually we went sort of from the macro scale of the community through to a sort of the smaller community and I, I think as well when, you know, when we talk about community that the you know what this project afforded us that is atypical is that we were actually working with the residents who are going to move into the building which is a conversation that particularly in housing you almost never have you know you you build you build flats you build houses and you know someone that you've never met before moves into them but in this case we were talking to the very same people that would be moving in and i think in a way you you're sort of through that process you know you 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 you're building the community through the process it's not just about you know whether you're designing in aspects that will engender community, the process itself is is creating, you know, pre-forming the community even before people have moved in, and of course that happened through the design process. It also happened through the construction process, where people were then brought around their homes as they were being built, so they could start to see them um, taking shape. Um, again, something that you know almost never happens on on any on most housing projects. It's so
1: interesting when you describe. The community being built actively through a process as opposed to it being designed in the abstract, you know, with, with all the best intentions in the world. But actually, as you say, when people are not involved, it's harder for them to have a stake in the game. And particularly when it comes to, to where you're going to live, it's such an extraordinary um, opportunity, I think, to, to draw out people's various, I suppose, ideas and ambitions for the where they're living. But also, as you say, to, to build community through debate and discussion and sometimes positive, constructive conflict. One of the things that seems to also have come up in the project is this idea of the chain of benefit. So there's a spatial strategy and a social strategy which connect to allow people to remain and move around the housing into the future. Is that 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 correct?
0: Yeah. So uh, I mean, I, you know, it, it's worth mentioning. So the, the way that the um, the brief was formulated was that uh, Levenmarket and Igloo undertook a housing needs assessment of the local housing estate and from that they identified people who were either a living in overcrowded conditions or perhaps in some cases underoccupying. occupying so it's sort of a classic um, scenario which is that as people have families and get older within their sort of uh, within their um, houses the children will move away and then you get elderly people living in large flats or houses and so these people are underoccupying. And then the third group were then people that had specific mobility needs who were not being catered for within the existing um, properties. So from those groups, then the uh, the most sort of in need residents were identified and those 27 residents were then moved into the new building. But then the other thing that that housing needs assessment gave Market, bearing in mind Market can control the estate, as it were, it gave them the ability to look at people across the board and say well actually we've got x number of people who are under occupying big properties we've got x number of people who are overcrowded in properties that are too small for them and so what we have now the capacity to do is to start to shuffle people around within the estate and get people in the right size accommodation for them and so from building that 27 flats potentially there was 100 households that could then be benefited from from shuffling around within the estate, and I think that's a that's a process that's ongoing or has the potential to to be ongoing, yeah, through the life of the project. And what's the reaction to
1: that in terms of? I mean, have people have have people been shuffled already? How do they cope with kind of leaving? I mean, I know people remain <laughs> on the estate, but I suppose one would perceive or imagine. Shuffling is also requires you to abandon some aspect and some emotional attachment to certain views and spaces and routines of life and you're moving somewhere else. Is that something that has been embraced
0: or is challenging or unfolding? I think, I th- you know, I think, I think you're right. It's, it's, on, it's on the same estate. So there's a sort of a degree of familiarity, of course. But, but it's, a really, it's a really interesting point. I mean, one, um, one woman that's moved into the new building, she lived on the upper story of a, a deck access walkway and uh, again you know the sort of perception about you know deck access and it's all sort of you know has a connotations of the inner city housing estate but actually she used to really like doing her washing up in the kitchen and she would see people passing by on the deck access and it would be a really good way for her to connect with 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 her neighbours to have those sort of casual conversations and she when she moved into a new building it was one of the comments that she said was that you know she loves the new flat but she doesn't have that deck access relationship that she used to have. And I think, you know, that's sort of, you know, you have to be sort of cognizant of that sort of thing as, as as a designer, that, you know, as an architect, you come into a project like this with a series of preconceptions about, you know, what's good and bad about those estates. And those are often very different from what people's realities are. And I think, again, that's part of the whole sort of benefit of this engagement process is that you're, you know, again, you're sort of, your architect's perception is very very different to people's realities and 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 what they perceive to be the positives and negatives of of living in in a certain space in a certain estate or or dwelling
1: I mean, could ask you about informal and formal consultation and knowledge kind of gathering as well. I've heard Hannah Loftus, the architect, speak a lot about her work with communities and she talks she talks about the need to sometimes to have conversations or to be available to people when you wouldn't normally expect it, or you know it's like a Saturday afternoon and somebody's <laughs> talking to you about their gutter or something it's It's quite a specific conversation, but she she speaks about the the idea that actually at a certain point you are you're living or you' you're so engaged with this with this process that 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 you you learn as much and can contribute as much and, and affect as much let's say future change or future good for the community by by those kinds of conversations as well as the formal presentations and the formal kind of team meetings about things and did you have, do you have any experience of of that? I mean it's such a huge commitment from from a designer for, for yourself personally to to work like this. How does, how does it square out in, in practice for you?
0: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I'm trying to, you know, in when we started that project, our offices were just around the corner. And actually that that, that was one of the, um, just diverting for a second, that, that was one of the things that Igly wanted to implement about the project is that every single consultant working on that project was based within a stone's throw of the project. and And that was a really important part of, the fact that you were you understood the area you understood the context you were invested in that local area but also it was a sort of sustainable point about the fact that you know everyone could walk to meetings and it was you know you weren't dragging people halfway across london or or uk for that matter and and but but part of that is that you know through the whole project we would walk past that site bump into local residents you know in the street and and still do to this day you know sadly our office isn't isn't there anymore but you know I still often find myself in the local area I still find myself bumping into local residents and there there is I have to say there's always that thing as an architect going back to see a project you never quite know what to expect when you see a resident you know, should you sort of keep your head down and um um be wary of people uh, you know moaning that your know, their taps leaking or something or, or you know <laughs> something's not quite right but but actually um you know I think we have an incredible relationship with those residents um in a way that we we don't um in any other project and you know it's always good to sort of be able to have those conversations and and if i'm honest i think you know one thing we haven't yet done is taken advantage of the fact that you know it'd be really good to, to now to go back and, and have really detailed conversations with people about how they find those apartments and and you know, what have been the pros and cons, what's worked, what hasn't worked. And I, I think that's something that, you know, we, we should definitely go and do.
1: But you are you are doing more work with this community or are they doing more yes, work? That's yes, that's right. So
0: so we're um in fact we're under construction with the second project with Labor Market. So that's forty flats and houses. And then we're currently in the design stage on their third project. And you know that they're, they're again this sort of level of, level of ambition um, in that community is incredible. I mean, uh, I sometimes joke that they've got bigger a bigger housing program than quite a lot of local authorities right now. Uh, but it sort of just shows what what is possible. And you know, the, the relationship with Southwark has formalised somewhat. So the developments that are coming forwards have a have a more so in that first project, for example, 100% of the um, allocations were were being allocated by 11 Market. JMB from their own uh, residents. In these projects coming forward, it will be an equal split between Leaven Market and and Southwark. But the process remains the same in the sense that Southwark donate the land and the um, development costs, and then Leaven Market will ultimately manage and maintain the building um, and and lead the um, development process. So it's still very much the community leading the the design design process and and being in control and, and empowered by the, um, by the project, so yeah, we're still very much in the area, which is you know really exciting.
1: Just to come back to to this question of time, it's very interesting to hear that one of the strategies was that the architects would be let's say use the word local or would be embedded somehow in the physical reality of the community or, or proximate. and that 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 uh, uh, you know that offers an opportunity to to engage in, in in a particular way, let's say. But even the way you talk about consultation over you know twelve. Months and then a period of bringing a lot of you know communities with you and a lot of individuals with you and then through construction, were you supported just as a practice to to do that? I mean, were you paid to do that? Was it part? You know, I mean, it's a it's a reasonable question I think because, I mean, you were working directly with them, which obviously was quite different than when there's someone in between and you're being asked by a third party to do all of this work. And you know, how, how did that work for you? I mean, was was it is it sustainable mode of practice for you? And are you employing? And hoping to continue to work and continue to work in this way with with other other people when you're making housing
0: it's a very good question I, mean, I think i think when you as an architect when you get involved with community um projects you are you're going in deeper i think you have to sort of go into that with your eyes open and you have to know that you know you're going to be working to develop the brief with residents in a in a way that you're you're not going to do with a professional developer i think you know, it, it's up to you as an architect to decide whether you want to do that out of a uh, out of sort of altruism and a commitment to your local community, or whether you, you know, or whether you, you you seek to get paid for that. I'd have to say that I think in that first project, um, ultimately we probably wasn't a commercial success, probably perhaps, and perhaps we sort of you know um, probably probably didn't know at the outset what we were getting into. But I think at the same time because it was a local project you know because we'd already uh we were already committed in a way to the process of attempting to set up the, the neighborhood forum we, we we were we were committed to the local area we we wanted to we wanted to do that sort of work we wanted to you know we were we were inspired and excited as architects to 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 do that sort of work and i you know if i'm honest I don't think it's you know it's not um you know it's not, it's not sort of know we're talking about sort of a bit more engagement we're not talking about you know a crazy amount of it's not like you're sort of sponsoring the project it's not you're not you're not losing money hand over fist you're you're you know you're going you're just pushing the the boundaries a bit more so yeah i think i think you need to but i think you need to be sort of cognizant of the fact that you know if you're going into that sort of work it's going to be more intense more 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 um more involved you're gonna to have to be more invested um so I think it's it's you know it's it's something for architects and designers to to think about
1: commercially and you've been working on housing for some time and you continue to do so, so housing is a core part of your practice
0: yeah so I mean I would say that um housing constitutes around about eighty percent of our of our practice and and probably about eighty percent of that is working with local authorities on housing development programs predominantly in London, but also in the southeast as well, so working with Kent and, and Essex, and others. Yeah, there
1: seems to be a growing body of good, excellent, exemplary public and social housing emerging again in the UK. At the same time, there seems to be a significant challenge to that emerging at, at certain kind of political levels, or at least when we, you know, when I read what's going on, it does seem that there's there's two things going on. I mean, is it becoming? Are you finding that there's there's a sufficient enough support for, for making work? good quality work at public and local authority housing or how is it how is it translating on the ground and-
0: i i think it's it's changed hugely i mean we uh, tim and i um set up the practice in 2004 having pretty much never done any housing before and we we won a design competition to refurbish a housing estate um in east london for newham and uh, we we i mean we came from a background of primarily doing commercial office space quite high end we stepped into the local authority housing sector and it was a completely different world. It was, you know, I think at that point in time, local authorities were finding their feet. A lot of them hadn't built any of their own development since, you know, the 1980s. The development teams were very thin on the ground. They were trying to rebuild their experience. And the aspiration levels, to be honest, were, were quite low. But over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, we see that, you know, I mean, as a practice, we, we see that local authorities are some of the most ambitious and aspirational clients out there. And I think for a long time, you know, council housing has been a sort of um, bit of a Cinderella of the um, architecture and development world. And, and now I think that the shoe is starting to um, move to the other foot. And we're seeing some of the most exciting projects. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think there's a a political impetus. I think that you know local authorities are competing to a certain extent with each other to to provide the best architecture. They're also very invested in the sense that they're building for their own constituents, um, and that's both politically they want to do great work, but also from a practical point of view, if things go wrong, it's them that get the the callback. You know, it's them that it, it falls on. And I think so. So you know, we see. Some of the best, in particular, best young architects out there producing great housing. I think it's a, a really great sector to be in. And I, I think as well that, you know, local authorities are, are looking for innovation. They're looking for um, innovation in sustainability as well. And I, I think they're just, you know, it's just much more exciting, much much um, more interesting than, you know, a lot of the private sector who are, you know, they know what their model is. They know what they they know what sells. And it's all a bit sort of spreadsheet-driven. Um, I think there's a lot more excitement in the local authority world.
1: When you say you know you started in 2004 and you were moving into housing, when you look back and what you were taught to do or trained to do, or how architects are trained now, do you think we we are engaged enough with housing as a as a topic in terms of the critical you know setting aside the reality of delivering it, but or do we debate and discuss it through the work, or or how might we better? become involved in, in let's say, building on incidences of great work that's happening at a local authority level, and as you say, by great practices, but ensuring when we either get the opportunity to make those houses, that we're ready as a group of people and we know what to be doing, or that we somehow champion and advocate harder for, for that to become more common, considering what a fundamental kind of building block of cities and towns and actually society housing is.
0: I think there's a lot of good debate happening and I, I think the the profile of it within the architectural community is is uh, rising all the time and and I, I see you know I see that I think the schools of architecture are engaging with it a lot more I, I still think in general there's a bit too much focus on the 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 appearance and, and what housing is an, as an object and I think not enough discussion about the the politics of it the uh, you know the finance of it you know it's a very it's an incredibly um, complex um, issue you know who builds and why and for who you know it's, it's deeply political and I think that 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 comes to your previous question about you know the sort of um, tension we see between local authorities trying to build and, and perhaps a sort of direction of travel at a, at a sort of parliamentary level but I but I see a lot more focus in the schools of architecture about what housing is, how people live, how you how you relate, how you bring community into housing. So I, I think those conversations are, are starting to to um, manifest themselves and, and become really interesting.
1: Just on that question of revisiting, and you talked about, you know, you're obviously working, continuing to work with this community on, on other projects, but this notion of going back to learn about what happens and how people having gone through this process with you guys and you with them, how they live and occupy in a place. Is that something that you do in other work or something you think would really benefit our kind of culture and understanding of housing more and more?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I just think it's, um, again, as a, as a profession, it's something we just don't do enough. Um, it, it's just too, you know, the typical scenario, you get practical completion, you get your photographer down there, takes photographs, and then you move on to the next project. And you might never ever Go back to that project again. That alone, speak to the users, speak to the residents. It, it's so important. I mean, if you're not if you're not learning, all the time for your own built work, then then you know, w- what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Having said that, it's something that you know we ourselves are not not doing enough. But we've got a few uh, projects now where we're including the Kipling project and um, some we're doing in Sutton, where we're starting to go back and talk to residents and try and understand. And again, I think it's just, it's one of those things where your perception as an architect is very different from the lived reality of residents. So, you know, you might go back as an architect and say, well, you know, I I think it makes quite a nice contribution to the streetscape. You know, it it does a really nice sort of job in an urban sense. But that's very different to the way that residents will see it. You know, have they got enough storage? Can they can they fit their furniture in? It's a sort of very, very pragmatic aspects that, you know, I just sort of out of the horizons of the way architects and and, and master planners and and built uh, and construction um, professionals come to the project. So I think it's really important to hear that lived experience, not just the sort of the critical analysis that appears in magazines or or our own sort of um, post rationalisation.
1: Thanks to Harry for giving us his side of the story, and I say that because it is so clear that the housing project was not designed by him alone, but also that the architect has such a key role to play in wider community-led and participatory processes in the production of housing. And it looks elegant and sophisticated, and the housing looks like a great place to live. I enjoy the ideas of chains of benefit and shuffling through an estate depending on your stage of life. It keeps communities intact and at home. I love that people are not moved away in order to build new houses and I loved hearing how community is built by and through working together and not just because we build with bricks and mortar. You can find more great work by Bell Phillips at bellphillips.com. The music is by Sinead Finnegan played by the Delmain String Quartet. If you are enjoying this podcast please rate it on iTunes and share it far and wide. Thank you for listening and until next time stay safe.